Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential. It's your weekly programme looking at all things royal, brought to you from Mail Plus HQ right here in Kensington. Just moments from the palace, if you don't mind. I'm Jo Elvin and we're going to kick things off this week with a look at the updated edition of The Meghan Paradox from acclaimed royal biographer Andrew Morton. To discuss these and much more is the Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, who joins me now from Skype. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Jo. How are you? Now, Rebecca, one of the claims that stands out in Andrew Morton's book is that it was Harry, not Meghan, who was really the prime mover in the departure from the royal family. It, it does. And actually, I think there is some merit in this claim. Um, I was thinking about this earlier on today. Back in 2018, I wrote a piece when word started to leak out that the Fab Four wasn't quite so fab as we thought, saying actually it was a bit of a kind of lazy sexist trope to kind of blame it on Meghan and some kind of row between Meghan and Kate. The issue was far more fundamental um, and it was one between the brothers. And I followed that up with a piece saying about how Harry had said to me and others, like many others over the years, how much he just would love to jack in royal duties and go off to Africa and work as a, as a wildlife ranger. And I think, you know, when you put those those two together, the, the picture's actually very clear. Meghan was the catalyst, but none of this would have happened unless Harry had wanted it to. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, I mean, probably not so positive for Meghan is the, the counterclaims that are in the book that, you know, Meghan talked in the Oprah interview about getting really no help settling into royal life from the palace. But Andrew's book claims something rather different. Yeah, and this is something we've discussed, haven't we, on this programme many times before. Um, there's no doubt the Queen and Prince Charles actually really liked Meghan to start off with, and Buckingham Palace feel very strongly that they bent over backwards to help them. I mean, I remember, you know, a, a kind of senior member of staff talking to me about how um, ladies-in-waiting had been sent by the Queen to Meghan to try and help her kind of navigate the complexities of royal life. But clearly, Meghan and Harry didn't feel that was enough for them. But to throw into that mix, I should say that, you know, people who have wise heads and, and actually not access to grind have said to me many times over the last couple of years that whatever help was given, Meghan and Harry didn't really want to listen. They wanted it on their own terms or or not at all. So I, and I do think, again, there's, um, there's something very interesting there. But... Also, Prince William doesn't come out particularly glowing from this book, does he? I mean, I think a lot of us have this image of him as being quite calm and placid and, well, sensible and boring, really. But he, he comes in with a bit of stick in this book. He does. The book revisits this allegation from a couple of years ago that Harry felt he was bullied out of the royal family, particularly by his brother. And we should stress that at the time when this first aired, William and actually Harry together issued a very rare joint statement absolutely denying any suggestions of bullying, because obviously bullying and mental health issues is something they're both very conscious of. Um, but obviously it, it is being aired again. And I suppose the way you've got to look at it is this, is... 
Was William unhappy about the way his brother was behaving? The answer was yes. Did he make those feelings clear? Yes, he did. Could that be construed as bullying? They don't feel it is, but obviously you've got to also put yourself in the shoes of the person that's on the receiving end of this. But again, I think like with my previous answer to you, Joe, I, you know, I've spoken to people a lot about this over the years, and um, it is made very clear to me that Harry was very, very touchy at that time, more touchy than he was normally. He would fly off the handle and take offence at the smallest thing. So is there anything they could have done or said that would have made him happy? And the answer is probably not. Well, let's lighten the tone for a minute and move away from the book to the Bond premiere. And Kate's look certainly attracted a lot of attention. The girl with the golden gown they're calling her. Yeah, I think actually the Daily Mail headline was Man with the Golden Gown, uh, which I think was a <laughs> brilliant stroke by our headline writers. And I mean, truthfully, gosh, she knocked it out of the ballpark, didn't she? Um, it was it, brilliant from the hair to the makeup to the jewellery. It was just so perfect for a bomb premiere. And I think we've all been desperate in these kind of long, difficult times of, you know, isolation and lockdown, haven't we, for a bit of glamour. And we certainly got that in, in spades this week. I also think, actually, the Duchess of Cornwall put on a great display in a Bruce Oldfield gown. I mean, when you're 74 and you're surrounded by Bond girls and someone that looks like Kate, it's quite difficult to hold your own. But I think, I think she did really well. I totally agree. Now, the couple have been busy again this week, haven't they? They have. There was no line for the Cambridges the day after they were heading off to Northern Ireland. It's something we've known about for, for a while, but we couldn't say because of security reasons. But they were out there to visit some medical students who they spoke to by video call earlier on during the year. And there was a great moment, quite an unexpected moment, where Kate actually not just held a tarantula, but volunteered, asked to hold a tarantula at the Wellbeing Petting Zoo. Um, I mean, is there nothing this woman won't do? I, you know... Oh, she's hard. Thank you so much for that, Rebecca English. Now let's turn to my panel and joining me are the Mail's diary editor, Richard Eden, and author and historian, Dr. Tessa Dunlop. Best of friends. Are we going to play nice? <laughs> let's hope off, not, yeah. in fact. <laughs> First, Tessa, the consensus seems to be that Kate knocked it out of the park in that Jenny Packham outfit. Yeah, I mean, it was a show-stopping moment, an eye-popping moment, and golden, the colour of crowns and kings. We have a queen in the waiting. And what I loved was the contrast with that golden dress and her earlier in the week in the tennis miniskirt. You know, this is a woman who's about to hit 40, has knocked out three kids, and she's <laughs> smacking it about with Radu Kanu. Quite extraordinary. She's really shown her versatility, and I don't think it's a coincidence that this has all happened uh, at the same time as there's been a a little whistle-stop tour going on on the other side of the pond. Are you that cynical, Richard? Do you think that there's, she, there's a feeling of Kate upping her game? Uh, no, I don't think she needs to up her game at all. <laughs> I think if you know, if you go back, I mean, there was an article on Mail Plus this week showing the outfits that Kate's worn to um, various premieres over the years or big big events and she's always dressed the occasion because you know this was a big deal this was really sort of signaling the return of cinema yeah the return of of life as we used to know it before the pandemic and the film industry is so big for britain now you know it, it, it sort of required that type of dress so I, I don't think she needed to um up her game at all i mean you know megan wears what she wants to wear in in new york i know but i think that's naive to suggest that they're operating in entirely separate 
spheres, one surely informs the other. And the quintessential British brand, a Bond movie, steps onto the red carpet looking absolutely second to none. And did you notice that very tender moment captured on camera between her and Charles? Charles has been cast as a bit of a pariah mm -hmm. by Harry and Meghan. I thought the whole thing, if not deliberately choreographed, certainly had the subconscious touch of a woman who is staking her claim. She's backing the institution. That's what she's committed her life to. And it's also, I think, a play to support her husband, yeah. who's been somewhat under the cosh. Because let's face it, they got on really well back in the day, Harry and William. Mm. You know, they were a team. And I think she's trying to compensate for what's missing. Maybe oh. she was just super jazzed about wearing a really nice frock. <laughs> maybe, none of, maybe none of this crossed her mind. Oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. This well, is the girl, you know, who went deliberately to St Andrews to pursue William. This is a girl who's very thought through. I'm not criticising well, her. That's very cynical. Cool no, 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 this it. is amazing, yeah. No, it's, it's, I think she's thought through. I think she, she's a clever woman, she knows her role, and she wants to make the most of it. And actually, when you've got someone like Meghan, who's also making a big fist of it over their global power, hanging out with the UN, Kate needs to work out where her strengths lie. Well, and, and she did just let, that. Let's talk about Mr. and Mrs. Megxit for a minute. And, and Andrews asserted in the book that actually it was more of a, a Harry orchestration. A hexit. Yeah, a hexit. <laughs> no one's ever said that, have they? No, well, that's interesting, isn't it? And it goes back to the trope that Rebecca pointed to, where it's always the woman's fault, the, the, the incomer's yeah. fault. Yeah, yeah. Um, unfair and unnecessary. There were tensions. What family doesn't have tensions? Imagine having baked into your sibling rivalry your big brother being king ultimately one day, something you can do nothing about, rock-solid primogenitor staring you in the face. It's, it's an uncomfortable one to mm. walk around, and Harry, in the end, threw the cards in the air. I mean, while I don't think that Kate needs to sort of compete with Meghan, I think what we have seen this week is really how their sort of lives are diverging and how Meghan always thought that. I mean, when mm. she's in New York, she's very much looked like a politician, Sort of on the mate She's clearly so comfortable yeah. on that American stage. I mean, they've been fettered yeah. by the politicians and that type of thing. And you saw with her various outfits throughout the week, it was real sort of power yeah. look. There have been lots of comparisons with the Obamas, and that's definitely the route that she wanted to go down. And despite, um, you know, some of the reports from the time, I think that certainly perhaps she always wanted. How long did Meghan really want to be with us in this country? What, what do you think about the claims in Andrew Morton's book that, that you know, refute some of the things that she's criticised the royal family about? Um, well, I, th I think it's, it's very interesting. And, you know, particularly it shows you how people can look at the same sort of events from two very different perspectives. And I think the royal family did make extraordinary efforts. I mean, you know, Andrew Morton mentions touching gestures like um, Camilla taking her hand at a, at a public event to show you're really one of the, the family now. And I think more and more um, I've started to believe, and I've heard it from so many people, that they felt that Meghan didn't want it to be a success in this country, in the royal family. She really did But, but didn't. again, you're flipping it around on Meghan. Let's, let's focus on the hexit and Meghan being the enabler for what actually what Harry, Harry wanted. has wanted for a very long time. Mm. She made him realise it was possible. Hey, you can have these trappings. You can have the entitled attention you've always grown up with. Because let's be honest, that would be difficult to get rid of. And we can facilitate it in a different part of the world, away from the emotional baggage that came with a, a very challenging childhood. But, do, do, do we need to, like, guddle about and say this is really so terrible? It's, it's a lifestyle choice. And she, as his future wife and then wife, 
helped him make that choice. But wouldn't it have been wonderful if Meghan had directed him to use their roles productively as part of the royal family? I mean, imagine, you know, this type of event, the Bond premiere in the past, you know, you'd have Harry with Kate and William. And imagine if it was that sort of fab four on the red carpet, it would have been fantastic for the future of the royal family. And But unfortunately, I think she directed him in a very negative way in a way that was for herself rather well, than I, for the, the royal the family. The crux is who directed who, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and also yeah. It's, it's what you believe in. You think it's negative because you're a keen royalist. You know, you're a great believer in this British institution, as am I, kind of in a, in a slightly perhaps less passionate and obvious way, Richard. But, but Megan, she comes from America, man. She bought into the trappings, but why should she buy into the institution? And Harry, clearly, in his play for her hand in marriage, wasn't overselling that institutional line, was it? <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was saying, get me out of here. Yeah. I want to be a celebrity, but forget <laughs> the royal bit. Let me ask you, Tessa, Prince William, do you, do you buy these bullying claims? I've got a big brother. Sometimes he just stands up and I feel bullied. Yeah. <laughs> He's taller than me. But has, hasn't bullying as a word? It's just become virtually meaningless. You know, children will accuse their parents of bullying if they're asked to do the washing up. You know, I mean, this, this idea that, you know, William was bullying, I mean, maybe he was just asserting the fact that he is he, the future king and he would get priority. I he, mean, that's just a fact. He has inbuilt privilege that, that they were never going to have. And you talk about, oh, wouldn't it have been great if the, the Fab Four had been on the carpet? Yeah, but Meghan was always going to be the, the sidestep to mm. Kate. Kate would have worn gold. What would Meghan have worn? Silver. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was never going to work. She's got a suitably well-honed ego, and clearly Harry does too, and they didn't want to be in the slipstream why, why do of you William think, and Kate. Why do you think it did really work, unless I'm terribly naive, with Diana and Fergie? Why was there none of this conjecture about those couples? It was a different era, and I think Diana was... I mean, she was a society girl who wasn't a careerist. Megan's a career girl. Yeah. She's a hustler. I think that the very key difference is that Fergie was happy to play second fiddle. She was never really competing with Diana for the headlines, whereas Megan married into the royal family as an established, successful yeah. woman who had... You know, it's very hard to then sort of go back to taking that back seat. But we are still moving away from the fact that increasingly it seems it, it was never really about the tensions between Kate and Meghan, but more about the tensions between William and Harry. And we can't get away from that. No, and we know how deep and inexplicably powerful, either repulsive or intensely attractive, those, those family bonds can be. They are the work or they don't work, and often it's, it's the love-hate thing, isn't it? Especially when they had such a close bond, it's, it, almost you feel it was an all or nothing. Now, had Kate and Meghan, as those two men's enablers, had a, a closeness, that, that might have helped them find the love as opposed to the hate's a bit strong, but, you know, mm. the, the antagonism. But they clearly didn't. They come from very different worlds. Yeah. You know, Kate's an establishment, English girl. She, she's a, a, invested everything into the royal family. And they had very little in common, that's very true. Very little in common, yeah. I mean, Meghan's much more your kind of out there liberal, feminist. She, she, you know, she, she achieved a, a relative success in a very tough industry in America. That takes some doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Now, the story we've just been discussing is exactly the sort of thing that you can get from the Mail Plus Royal Newsletter, written by our very own right royalist, Richard Eden. Richard, 
Tell us what you can get. <laughs> no, I write about um, royal subjects as well, as well as others, and it's very hard to keep up, particularly at this time of year. It's so hard. Where there are, there are, <laughs> so, many, yes. there are so many royal events. Yeah. So the newsletter is a way of, Palace Confidential newsletter is a great way of not missing a thing. Hopefully all the big stories will be there, a bit of gossip, a bit of fun as well. So um, sign up. If you want more Richard in your life for free, <laughs> sign up. <laughs> Head to the website www.mailplus.co.uk forward slash palace hyphen newsletter that link is on your screen now now the multi-million pound netflix deal signed by the duke and duchess of sussex still on them was seen as a major departure in the manner that members of the royal family chose to spread their message however in the past few weeks we have seen the senior royals interviewed for a bbc documentary and both charles and williams announcing plans to spend more time creating content for the small screen mail plus's jess king has been looking at how the royals are now ruling the airwaves Remember that the natural world is, is, is what sustains us. Prince Charles is well known for his environmental campaigns. And now the future king has launched a television channel on Amazon Prime that's dedicated to promoting programmes about the climate crisis. His advice on how to save the planet could reach viewers in 19 countries. And as royal author Victoria Murphy explains, it's a significant step for the sovereign-in-waiting. This channel is him focusing on the issues that he cares about, the things that he's passionate about, and encouraging people to focus on these things as well. He's editor-in-chief of this channel, and that title in itself, of course, tells us you know, he has full editorial control. And this is something that we're seeing the royal family do quite a lot, particularly on the internet and social media, is curate and package their own content and put that out there. It allows them to be very visible, but encourage people to focus on the things they want them to focus on, and of course have full control over how they're seen. The Prince of Wales is not the only family member making waves in the media. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex have their own production company and have signed a multi-million dollar contract with Netflix. Prince William will soon be hosting a new BBC series about tackling the world's greatest environmental challenges. From the broadcast of Queen Elizabeth's coronation ceremony in 1953 to the royal family's first Instagram account in 2013, the monarchy has always had to adapt to the modern digital age. And now in the era of social media and multiple TV streaming platforms, the royals can communicate directly with their audience. Historian Dr. Ed Owens says that embracing this technology is not only useful, but it's a question of survival for the crown. We can see both uh, Prince William and Prince Charles vying for the moniker, if you like, of environmentalist king in waiting. They're both trying to promote uh, a vision of themselves as uh, environmental uh, leaders. Uh, same goes for Harry and Meghan. They are uh, essentially using their platform to campaign about issues that matter to them. There's a more fundamental question here, and that goes back to the royals having to sort of keep pace with the times and the times that are changing. Um, the, monarch, the monarchy has historically been interested in one thing above all, thing, ab above all other things, and that is its own survival. Yes, I'm sure these individuals all do care about climate change and wanting to try and protect the planet in that respect, but most of all, they care about themselves. They care about the institution of monarchy. They, keep, uh, they want to keep the crown in place. So uh, engaging, if you like, with these, these very topical issues is a way of keeping themselves meaningful, keeping themselves relevant uh, in this, this fast-evolving 21st century that we live in. While there are many benefits to using online platforms to strengthen the royals' relationship with the public, 
There are also, of course, many pitfalls, particularly perhaps for the youngest members of the family. I think it's hugely challenging for the royals in the age of social media and I think it's going to be a really big test when the next generation of young royals, George and Charlotte and Louis, become teenagers, for example, because they will be the first royal youths to effectively go out and socialise in, in an era of social media where anyone can take a picture and publish it. And William and Harry had the paparazzi to contend with, they had the mainstream media attention, but they didn't have that when they were inside venues, inside universities, for example, and they'll presumably want to go to nightclubs and do all the normal things that young people do. And I think that's going to be challenging because everyone is a photographer now. The monarchy may have been quick to realise the power of the internet to boost their popularity and promote the monarchy brand. But just as for everyone else, the screens can be both a blessing and a curse. Jess King there. Now let's hear from our panel again. Richard, it seems like these days we're really moving away from the Queen's well-known rule of like, you know, Christmas messages and the old speech. And that's it. You never hear from her. We can't get can't move for royals being in media now. I think it really is a signal of a sort of different era. Um, you know, the Queen's never never done that sort of sit-down interview. And um, as I mentioned last week's show, she, I think she'll be the last of her monarchs um, where that's the case. I think Charles and William have given plenty of sort of small interviews over the years on different subjects. And we'll see more of that. I mean, let's be honest, it would be very strange not to, wouldn't mm. it? In this multimedia age where, you know, everyone's on their phones and that's how they relate to people. It would be very unusual if the royal family didn't move with the times. And they've been very good over the years with, you know, with, with Twitter and Instagram and every new innovation. They've been keen to, to use that for communications. Do you think, Tessa, that there's any hint of, you know, the likes of Charles and William looking at what the Sussexes have been doing and thinking, with, the, you know, their Netflix and Spotify ideas, thinking, that's a good idea. I think one does inform the other. Also, they've come in for a bit of a battering, whether it's Charles and access for cash or cash for access or whatever it is, and William, allegations of bullying in the bus stop with his brother, Andrew, we know all about that. So I think by curating your own films, you take control of your narrative. To be honest, it's something of a no-brainer. Now, you remember that the royal family tried to do this in obdoc form, you know, about three or four decades ago, and then it never saw the light of day again. The Queen was like, no, we're not having up close and personal. And that, and that. But actually, this is a sort of reincarnation of that idea. Now, Philip was the great moderniser. He encouraged mm. the obdoc. You remember, he gave a, signif a significant interview for his 90th birthday, talked to Fiona Bruce, passionate, you know, saying quite controversial things. You know, what should be done about, you know, is your president of the World Wildlife Fund? Oh, we should all think about how many children we have. You know, classic kind of mm. Prince Philip putting it out there. And I I actually think in a, in a gentler version of that, this is William and William and, and Charles trying to hold on to a, a fresh narrative and a narrative that's their own. But yeah, of course, they know what's going on mm. on stateside. <laughs> yeah. Do you think we'll see more of this going forward from the royal family? I think so. But let's be clear that what, what Harry and Meghan are doing is, is very different. It's on a different scale. You know, they, they've started production companies. They're making their own programmes. Prince Harry was quite open. He said, I needed to make money, and so I signed a deal yeah, with Yeah, because he was Netflix. only down to his last inheritance from his mother, I heard. My heart <laughs> did go out. Desperately to tough yeah. times. Yeah. I, I think the key difference, though, is, you know, Harry and Meghan are making TV programmes to make money, whereas when the royal family do them, they will be for a particular cause. If it's Prince William with Earthshot Prize highlighting environmental issues, or Prince Charles on a, in a similar subject, as we know, he's very passionate the about. The danger is there, then, that the stuff that Harry and Meghan do will be more commercial and more watchable 
and the stuff that Charles and William do will just be a bit too worthy and mm. won't get the footfall. I would say that remains to be seen. I yeah, think we've, I th we've yeah, seen Megan's commercial I, I, aspects with children's book writing. I in suspect it. <laughs> a lot of worthiness coming from Camp Sussex as well, if I'm, if I'm honest. But let, let's see. But we're all such but, lemmings, we'll probably all watch yeah, it all Exactly, <laughs> yes. But do you think there's any part of Her Majesty the Queen that actually kind of feels like she would like to embrace more of that face to face that more that bigger connection with the public but 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 actually protocol doesn't can, can, allow. Can, you, can you imagine i mean i would love to ha hear a sit down interview with the queen yes i would talking yes. about her life it would be the most fascinating thing ever mm. she won't do it because she never has and it would be bizarre to suddenly do it when you're 95. You know, i don't even know if she'd quite know how to do it she's spent her entire life suppressing what she feels, you know, su suppressing any kind of opinion for duty, for the bigger picture, for the institution. But the best thing about getting older is the less you care about what everybody else thinks, and that's why I like to hear from older people. Indeed. That would be amazing. It would be amazing, yeah. but you could argue the more she's going to stake her legacy on that lifelong commitment yeah. to silence and duty. You know, just keeping on, keeping on. Mm. And I think she just wishes the rest of them would too. Although there's a bit of her that's learnt you have to be flexible, you have to go with the flow. You have to adapt, and that's what she's seeing her family how, do. How does this compare to, you know, Henry VIII's day? In terms of in terms of how the royals communicated with well, which one public. would have lost their head first, yeah, yeah, Meghan yeah, yeah, or Kate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating though, isn't it? Because they would have had these issues, but, but with a different kind of era of but the, well, the no queen's, technology. The Queen's attitude hasn't changed that much from Henry VIII, really, has it? It's just official bulletins. Oh come on, off with your head! <laughs> I mean, it was a totally different era. It was violent. It was unforgiving. It was about survival and 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 and, and, and probably no concern really about what the public thought. No, but in terms Absolute, of communications, yeah. Henry VIII would issue a proclamation and that would be, that would be broadcast. Yeah, what, what he said went. Yeah. You know, in the end, he even took on the Pope. You know, it was like the yes. first version of Brexit. <laughs> we'll just snap that in two, thanks very much, and crack on with the next wife. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think, I think a, a more realistic comparison would be a 20th century one. How does this yeah. compare with, say, Edward VIII when he was forced to abdicate because of Wallace Simpson? You know, what changes have we learned? I think that the, the Queen understands that the brittleness the sort of stiffness of the institution then, which again reflected a much more conservative population, has had to move with the times. You know, look, Meghan was an American divorcee and, and the wedding was blessed by the royals. It, it took place in St George's Chapel and, and Charles stood alongside his new daughter-in-law. Mm. That, that Not only did that not happen, that cost Edward his crown. But I do think yeah. you need a bit of distance. I mean... I was finding that during the pandemic when we had these sort of lots and lots of Zoom calls involving the royals, it was taking away a bit of the magic, I think. I think a bit of distance and a bit of grandeur is, is needed. Well, do you just want them wearing gold dresses, walking along red carpets and saying nothing? <laughs> What's wrong with that, eh? What's wrong with that? It was a very nice dress. But that is all we have time for today. My thanks to my guests, Rebecca English, Dr Tessa Dunlop and Richard Eden, and not forgetting the most important to you for watching. Thank you very much and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.